0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning the science of pain and how to manage it, discovering blood sugar balance hacks for better metabolic health, or moving through grief using research-backed strategies. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Emily Morse to the podcast. Emily is the host of the award-winning number one sexuality podcast, Sex with Emily, which has been on the air for nearly two decades. She is a masterclass instructor on sex and communication, was previously a radio host and executive producer on SiriusXM, and has a doctorate in human sexuality. She's been featured by the New York Times, Forbes, Men's Health, The Today Show, Entertainment Tonight, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, and so many more. Her brand new book just came out this week and is called Smart Sex, How to Boost Your Sex IQ and Own Your Pleasure. It is such a great read. I absolutely devoured it and I highly, highly recommend. Today, we're going to be getting into a ton of ways to up-level our sex lives so we can get the pleasure that we all so deeply deserve, including how to reignite the spark in a long-term relationship, what to do with medications like birth control or SSRIs are impacting your libido, all of the surprising things that you do every single day that are negatively impacting your sex drive. There are so many things on this list that I do every single day that I was not connecting to my sex life. It is so eye-opening. Daily practices to amp up your ability to feel pleasure, what pleasure thieves are, and how to squash them for a better sex life, the sex position that will transform your relationship, the best way to uplevel your sexting game, dirty talk, masturbation sessions, oral sex, foreplay, and more, Emily's three T's of communication for finally talking about sex with your partner, what to do if you've been faking orgasms and you want to stop, and so much more. We would love to hear your thoughts and your biggest takeaways as you're listening to the episode, so definitely screenshot and tag Emily. She is at sexwithemily, and me, I am at lizmoody on Instagram. Also, we have an amazing giveaway that you will love at the end of this episode, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, let's get right into it with Dr. Emily Morse. Emily, I was just telling you off air that I'm such a fan. I loved your book. I love how you kicked off your book with this personal story of discovering how to have amazing sex after that initial spark in a relationship has worn off. That is a huge struggle that I hear about all of the time from members of my community. So I would love to hear a little bit about your journey just to kick off the episode with a little bit of hope.
1: Like many of you, I would get into relationships. Here was me, I was in my 20s, my early 30s. I'd get into a relationship with a wonderful guy. Sex was amazing for six months to a year and a half. And then it wasn't. And then I didn't really want sex anymore. It was less interesting. Then problems arise because once the honeymoon phase is over, and let me remind people, it's a biological condition where when we are falling in lust with somebody, You have all those feel-good hormones, like the most delicious cocktail in the world. And when they study people's brainwave patterns of falling in love and in lust, it's analogous to people on cocaine. So it is a drug. And like any good drug, you're going to come back down again. But what I didn't know through all these relationships was that you could actually work on your sex life. Like we're talking 20 some odd years ago. So There wasn't a lot of information about sex. I thought something was wrong with me. Clearly, I thought something was wrong with my partner. I'm like, well, clearly they're not my person and this relationship must end. And then I would turn and there'd be another one. And then we'd have the best sex ever for a year, year and a half. And then that would end. I didn't have the understanding that we could work on it and go through it. And also, I've always been sort of a student of relationships. I've always just found it fascinating how people meet and how they stay together. And then I realized that a lot of times they weren't having sex or sex was the culprit, uh, the biggest problem in the relationship. So I actually made it my mission. I was 35 years old and I was living in San Francisco. So this is my journey. I I wasn't working in podcasting or sex and I made a pivot. And I thought, I want to understand how to be a great lover, how to enjoy sex more. I felt like all of my male partners were always having a good time. (laughs) It always ended in a great pleasure for them and not for me. So I started this podcast. I was no way the expert. I was more like, you know, learning along with everybody else. I would say research is me-search. I would just interview people about their sex life, their relationships. And I found out after that very first episode that a lot of people were looking for this information. A lot of friends of mine were faking orgasms or faking pleasure. And, and then the men too were like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I kept looking and digging and there just wasn't. I and mean, it was like Dr. Ruth and there weren't really podcasts, obviously. So I started in 2005. And after that it became, you know, pretty popular right away. And I got tons of questions and people wanted to dialogue about it. And I thought, first, well, this has to happen. We need this information. And then I went back to grad school and got my doctorate in human sexuality. And that's been my story. My journey started from a place of like, what is wrong with me? How do you make sex last? That's it. That was the journey. Now I've got some answers here. But
0: that's how it started. Do you think that you can get to that cocaine level high again? Or is it almost like different type of drug later.
1: It's a different type of drug. I don't think that you can get that exact feeling again. I mean, maybe if you have some distance or you break up and get back together, Or, you know, something happens, you could, but I think there's something very special in like the DNA, if you will, of that newness and the excitement and all the ingredients of like, I've never kissed this person before. I don't know where it's going. It's exciting. It's all the stuff that we crave. It's novelty. It's spontaneous. It's variety. It's all the things that we kind of try to build up in our long-term relationships. We try to find sources of that. So no, I don't think you get back to that, but you can create something that's really hot and just deep. It's like hot depth <laughs> of sex, but not so much about that same spark, but it can be really sexy.
0: Is there anything you would say to somebody who's just like, I miss that though? I want that high, high. I want the not knowing. Even I hear from a lot of my girlfriends, and I've experienced this myself, like the affirmation of somebody falling in love with you is huge.
1: It is huge. I hear this from all my girlfriends too, that they're like, I just want to feel that again, and I'll never have that. And I think there was a certain warning for sure. You're like, okay, I won't have that. But what else can we have here that could be not just as, but a different kind of connection and intimacy? We tend to put things on a pedestal too and thinking it's going to be this incredible thing. When really, if you have this partner that you love and maybe you're best friends and you share everything, but it's no longer hot, I think that's where I can come in and help people create a new way of connecting Around their sexuality and what they do that could make it another level of interesting and sexy
0: Once you went on this journey, you're like i'm going to learn everything about sex I'm going to change my own sex life If you had to pinpoint one learning or one conversation that most up leveled your own sex life, what would you say?
1: I started to self-pleasure with a purpose. I started to masturbate. I started to like, took a mirror. I never looked at myself between my legs. I didn't know what was going on. And I find this with a lot of women. We are really disconnected from our bodies. And then we wonder why we don't feel arousal, desire turned on. For many reasons, we're disconnected. So to make that connection and be like, okay, well, here's what my body looks like. And here's what it looks like when I touch myself, when I pleasure myself. Oh, look, my clitoris swells or it becomes more engorged. Like, I literally became a student Of my own body and my own pleasure. And
0: for me, that was a game changer. If somebody is listening and they either haven't masturbated or they masturbate and it's like, it's fine, but they wanted to kind of like take it to the next level, could you give us a few tips?
1: Absolutely. I think a lot of women don't masturbate. And I understand why. There's a lot of reasons. First, it's a habit. You never did it. You just might not think about it. Maybe people think that, well, I have a partner. I don't need to. Or there could be some leftover shame or they were told it wasn't acceptable. So I would just say it's great to revisit it. We always get to revisit these old things that we carry around with us. Like, is that still true? Is it still shameful? Could I get curious again? It's really fun to just take some time for yourself and start to explore. And I love the. Process of mindful masturbation more than masturbation with a goal of orgasm. Because a lot of us, even if we do masturbate, it's like, let's just hit it and quit it and go about our day. And there's nothing wrong with the hit it and the quit. It. It's masturbation. Like, I know what I want, I'm in, mean, I'm out. But there's something to what does turn me on right now. I mean, you have to understand women too. Our bodies change all the time. Like our hormones are fluctuating throughout the month. There could be different things that feel good, things that maybe felt good 10 years ago don't feel good now and vice versa. Maybe we discover new erogenous zones, just getting curious and taking time to really explore. Buying a vibrator. I mean, listen, we've got so many nerve endings all over our body and finding and using a toy where fingers and penises can't stimulate um, is really incredible. And I think that there's a lot of learning to do there too. And just get curious, explore, use some lube, think about breathing. I have a book about mindful and smart sex about mindful masturbation. So that's one place I would start and just taking the pressure off of anything other than exploration.
0: One of the things I loved about your book is that you make the connection that our whole bodies and our whole lives impact our sex life and our sex life impacts our whole bodies and our whole lives. And I think it's a really interesting bilateral relationship that I haven't heard explored in that way before.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, because that's really what the book is. We tend to silo sex. It's sort of this thing that we put aside and it's sort of separate from our health and wellness. And we think it's just going to somehow figure it out. Like I'm going to close my eyes and hope for the best. But the truth is, it's a mind body connection. That's why in Smart Sex, I write about sexual intelligence. I write about the five pillars of sexual intelligence. And it's really just holistic like your relationship to your body, your overall health. Your knowledge around sex, your ability to communicate about sex are all contributing to your sex life. Sex is mental health. Sex is physical health. Sex is your wellness overall. They're all interconnected. So I really tried to draw those parallels to people because what I found was most people want a quick fix when it comes to sex. They want to know the right vibrator, the right lube, the right toy. And I can do that. And I've been doing that for almost 20 years. But there's a certain depth and knowledge that comes from really sinking in and saying, what actually is going on in my body? It's not that simple. If I'm taking a certain medication, that's going to impact my sex life. If I don't have a great relationship with my body, well, that's going to impact it. If I'm not comfortable communicating with a partner about my needs, that's going to impact it. So it's a multi-layered connection and process to really understand that your sexual health is part of your overall well-being and then how to kind of marry those two.
0: You gave one of the best explanations I've heard of the impact that hormonal birth control is having on our sex lives. Can you explain a little bit about that?
1: Here's the thing about hormonal birth control pills. Birth control pills and other forms of hormonal birth control have sexual health side effects more than any other medication they have found. So because these birth control pills are made with synthetic forms of estrogen or progesterone, it interferes with the process of ovulation and menstruation. This is just something that women just kind of pop a pill and they don't know it. So I really just want to give women agency over their bodies and just the information that they need to know that it's great because it helps us avoid pregnancy, which is why we're taking it. But unfortunately, there's some other things going on. And like birth control pills really wreaks havoc on many women's hormones like testosterone. It's going to decrease your testosterone, not just for men. And that could also have an impact on your libido. And also it can have an impact on your neurotransmitter serotonin they have found that a lot of women on the pill, there's a larger proportion of women on the pill who start taking SSRIs for depression and anxiety to feel better. So what we found is that there's a correlation there. And I have to say that that happened to me as well in my 20s. And I realized it was a lot of my friends. We went on the birth control pill and I had never felt depressed or anxious before. And I went to my gynecologist and I said, I'm feeling anxiety, depression. And she's like, take this. And at the time there was a pill that you took. It was, I can't remember the name of it was. It was like purple. And it was sort of like a Prozac, but you took it like we're only during your period. And it was really, really helpful. But what I'm saying is I feel like I, I wish that I had understood the correlation. So... We're still at the forefront of learning about hormones. Here's the other thing. There has been so much misinformation, if not an of information about hormones. And there's a lot of research now that's showing that estrogen plays a big role, not only in our desire and arousal, but in so many parts of our life. So if you're taking this pill and it's impacting your estrogen and your testosterone and your progesterone, I just want women to know that it is impacting your sexual desire, your arousal, and possibly your moods. So what you should do is definitely talk to your doctor about it. And, you know, I remember switching pills when I was on it. I went to like a lower dose method that really helped. There's also non-hormonal birth control pills that you could take, like the copper IUD. So just getting curious and thinking, huh, yeah, you know what? I just want people to think like just more information. Oh, yeah, I realized I did get a little bit more depressed or I am feeling that lately. Now, there's some women I meet who are like, oh, my God, I went on the pill and I have never felt better. And that's amazing, right? love that. But I just want people to like be aware of the impact because your doctor might not have told you.
0: Is there anything that somebody could do if they are on the pill and they love it except for their low libido? Or you also mentioned SSRIs. And I have a number of friends who love their SSRIs. They swear by them, but it affects their libido and they just like don't want to trade the rest of their mood for their libido. Yeah,
1: exactly. Isn't that a bummer? You're like, here I am feeling happy again, but I don't want to have sex. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is have sex, right? You're like, great, serotonin, no sex drive. So yes, absolutely. The first thing you do, is you talk to your doctor. The amazing thing is if you're with a great doctor, you feel good with like they know what to do. They can either lower your dose. They can add in some other medications that don't have the sexual side effects. That's the first thing to do. But the second thing to do is to realize that, yeah, maybe you have lower libido, but here's the thing about low libido. And there's a lot of people in my field are like, yeah, low libido is kind of bullshit anyway. That a lot of us don't desire sex like we used to. We're busy, we're stressed, we're anxious, there's stuff going on. Because low libido just means that you're not like feeling it. You're not like having this strong urge to have sex. I'm not thinking about my partner all day, but you know what? We're busy. We got stuff on our mind. So the good news here is our brain is the largest sex organ. And if we realize that we are actually responsible for stoking that flame, keeping our pilot light lit, this is not anyone else's job. So if you're on an SSRI and you're not feeling it, then we got to think about ways that can turn us on. And this is what my whole book is actually about, the pillars of sexual intelligence or sex IQ is understanding that there's a holistic approach to understanding your desire and your arousal and what turned you on. And once you look at all of those factors, you'll be able to hack it and figure out what is actually requirement for you to be in the mood, to raise your libido, to feel turned on, to get the pleasure that you need. There's a lot of factors that are contributing to it beyond the pill that you're taking. When you get your brain, you can do all these other things that can help kind of counteract
0: the impact of the pills. I love that. One of the other outside connections that I had never thought about impacting our sex lives that you made in the book was between numbing activities like social media and then that having a negative effect on our sex lives. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Numbing is one of the pleasure thieves that I talk about. And pleasure is presence, right? But when we're numbing ourselves, we are not very present. When we are feeling truly like embodied and present and with somebody, we are not thinking about anything else. We are present, we are connected. But when you numb with social media, with anything, you're just sitting there and you're completely out of body. Whether it's like scrolling or shopping or anything we're doing is taking us away from ourselves. And one of the pillars of sexual intelligence is being embodied. How in my body am I? Do I feel my feet on the floor? Are my brain and body connected, especially when I'm in the bedroom? So we can numb out social media. We can even numb out when we're having sex. We can disassociate. I think it's really important to think about what in our life is taking us away from experiencing more pleasure numbing with social media, I think that I'm not the first person to say that we have all of these ways that we think we don't have time for things, but it's like, how long have you just spent scrolling social media?
0: And it frames it, it contextualizes it so differently for me to be like, oh, this time that I'm just kind of like, quote unquote, zoning out, I've had a busy day, I'm tired, I'm zoning out, is decreasing my ability to be in my body and experience pleasure sexually later.
1: Exactly. Because you get this dopamine high. That's the other thing is that when you're numbing or you're when you're like scrolling, you get this chemical message in our brain, the reward centers, right? So you get that quick high, but it's like a fast burn. Then we go back to baseline. And so we're tricked into thinking what pleasure feels like is scrolling, social media, shopping, eating, whatever your things are. But dopamine also plays a role in our motivation. So we keep going and going, going, and we are doing this habit that we're tricking ourselves into thinking that's pleasure. You click the buy now button on Amazon, and then you're clicking it again and again. And so it's not wholly satisfying. And so numbing sort of dampens our sex IQ, keeping us from being embodied, attuned, and present.
0: Other than taking out the things that are numbing and taking away our ability to be in our bodies. Are there favorite practices that you have that we could maybe add in on a daily basis to connect with our body and get in our body?
1: Absolutely. Breath work, game changer. However you intentionally breathe throughout the day, whether it's like five deep breaths. I actually do it during sex when I'm getting distracted or with my partner. I think that a lot of us get distracted during sex or we're not connected to our partner. Breathing for me is so powerful because we know all the benefits, I'm not the first person to say it, but when it comes to sex, what I love about breathing is that it immediately grounds you in the present moment. You really can't be anywhere else when you're taking an intentional breath, but also the practice of really, really like taking in a deep breath. You breathe in for four, you hold it, you breathe in, and then you hold it for like six or seven breaths. When you're breathing it, you're taking that deep breath and inhaling. Imagine it going down to your pelvic floor. And when it's going down there, do a little keggle, do that little squeeze. And that's going to awake your pleasure centers because the pelvic floor is the area that's responsible for our pleasure and our orgasm. So if you're feeling disconnected from yourself, that's a great way to kind of wake it up and stay connected. Whenever I do that, that just helps me like, oh yeah, I'm alive. I'm a sexual being. I'm here and it helps clear energy blocks. So that is just big one for me. Meditation is really important. I do meditate every day, but when I added breath work, that was a game changer. I also think that movement is really important. Again, exercise, blood flow, but here's why movement is important for sex, okay? If you want to talk about the biology of it, right? When we get aroused and turned on, we have more blood flow. So if blood engorges to your penis or your vulva, the healthier we are and the more we move, the more likely we're going to have more blood flow, hence more erections, more orgasms. So I bring this all up in the book because it's really not that obvious or intuitive for many people because sex has been so siloed. So I'm saying, wait a minute, all the things that you're doing to keep you, to numb or to distract are also impacting your sex life. So let's bring it into your sex life. Wrath work, masturbation, movement, all of those things are going to help us.
0: Hi, excuse me. If your skin is feeling a bit like a scaly fish or scratchy sandpaper, we need to talk. I feel you. I naturally have very dry skin on my body, especially since Zach and I spend so much time nomading in the mountains. That's how I first discovered Osea. I started using their Andaria Algae Body Butter and it completely changed my life. I've repurchased it five times now. Each tub lasts a shockingly long time and I am still so obsessed. It smells amazing. Like you will feel like you're in a spa. It's such a tiny luxury moment that you can give yourself. It rubs in so well, so you don't have that sticky residue after, which I always hate. And it hydrates my skin like nothing else that I have ever tried. Everyone who comes to visit me gets hooked on it as well. I've started stocking some to give as gifts to guests so that they don't feel tempted to steal mine. It also has key ingredients often called out on this podcast as being essential for actually moisturizing your skin, like glycerin, ceramides, and shea butter, and there's oat kernel extract that instantly feels so soothing and calms that itch that dry skin can cause. Everything OCS sells is amazing. It all has amazing ingredients and is so thoughtfully formulated. But I will say their Andaria line is my favorite. They just launched a new lotion in the line, the Collagen Body Lotion, and if you want a lighter moisturizer, this is perfect for you. It absorbs instantly, it has almost a milky feel on the skin, and it's backed by some impressive clinical results, including an instant increase in hydration and visibly firmer skin in just four hours based on a recent clinical study. It's lightweight, it replenishes the skin's moisture barrier, and brightens skin for a healthy, youthful look, basically everything that I look for in a body lotion. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified and packed with vegan collagen, hyaluronic acid, peptides, and Andaria seaweed. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years, and I absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. Get hydrated, healthy skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, I have a special discount just for Healthier Together listeners. You can get 10% off your first order site-wide with code LizMoody10 at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. That's OseaMalibu, O-S-E-A, Malibu.com and use code LizMoody10 for 10% off. This podcast is all about giving you the tools to live a better life in the easiest ways possible, so I always get so excited when I find new ways to do just that. And this time, I'm talking about saving on time and money, which you can do easily with Rocket Money. Rocket Money is so cool. Their app helps you find and cancel subscriptions you don't use, easily track your spending across all accounts in one place, and save money effortlessly with their automated savings feature. I can't underscore enough how much the Subscriptions Finder is a complete game changer. When I first set up my account, I didn't even realize I was paying for old workout apps and a video editing app that I hadn't used in years, but it was so expensive. So first, Rocket Money finds the subscriptions, and then with one click, you can cancel them within the app. It is so helpful. On average, people have 12 different paid subscriptions and spend up to $200 a month on them. And with Rocket Money, the average user saves up to $720 a year by canceling unwanted subscriptions. Since 2016, they've saved members $245 million. Their premium subscription allows you to access even more functions like separating your expenses into custom categories, tracking and understanding your credit score, setting up a custom budget, getting access to their premium chat function, and more. Members get to choose their own price for premium based on a sliding scale between $3 and $12 per month, which I think is so cool and admirable of the company to do. If you're looking for literally the world's easiest way to see what you're spending and where and to begin to take control of your spending and saving, so you can use your money to create the life that you want, you are going to love Rocket Money. Do not wait to try it. Sign up for Rocket Money today by going to rocketmoney.com slash That's rocketmoney.com slash Liz Moody to sign up today. Are there any other common specific things like scrolling social media that we might not be aware are having a negative impact on our sex life?
1: Yes. In smart sex, I identified the pleasure thieves. And these are the things that are keeping us from pleasure on a daily basis that we don't even realize. And I think it's really important to slay these dragons. And one of them is stress and anxiety. I say STS, stress, trauma, and shame, if you want to remember what they are. But stress is one of the biggest killers of our sex drive. We're raising our cortisol levels. We're not embodied. We're not present. And so day-to-day, like overworking, not making time for your relationship, shooing date night so you could work, not connecting with your partner or having check-ins. You know, I think it's so important for couples to have check-ins to have like a date even beyond date night i call it the sexual state of the union even if you have it once a month with a partner like once a quarter what's going on in our sex life how are we feeling are we connected what else do we need what else turns us on what keeps us is stress worry stress and anxiety that is in plain sight working all the time even having kids it's so hard When you have kids, you are responsible for another human now and you're exhausted. And then you're supposed to like make dinner, be sexy, all the things. And for so many women, I have so much empathy and compassion for them. And I want their partners to as well and realize that like she might not snap right back. That doesn't happen. Right. So take the time to like realize and acknowledge like right now is not going to be the time where I'm going to be turned on. Those are some of the culprits. And I think shame also a huge one. I mean, shame is so insidious. I actually learned a lot more about my own shame in, in writing this because intellectually I understand shame, right? And Brene Brown, as we know, did such incredible work around shame, but guilt is that we did something bad and shame is that we are bad. And so just like people who have sex, perhaps they grew up in an environment where sex wasn't encouraged. In fact, it was discouraged and people were told to save it for marriage or it's only for procreation or being sexual means that something's wrong with you, that those messages still live out in our head. And so every time we go to have sex, we're hearing like, I am bad, I am wrong. Or, you know, we have body shame. We have experience shame. I don't even have experience. Those are some of the main things that's keeping us from having the sex life that we desperately crave.
0: What did you learn about your own shame writing the book?
1: It's funny. This is, I haven't even really talked about this out loud yet, but it wasn't really about my sex life per se. I have a lot of like shame around like certain ways I move through the world. I wish I could have better executive functioning and follow up and get back to people and all the things that I worry about. I have shame around who I am. I don't ever want to let people down. I'm a people pleaser. I want to be a really good friend, a really good whatever. All the energy I spend trying to be a perfectionist and try to get things done in the right way. Because I didn't grow up in an environment where I shame around sex or my my body. But my shame in my life, I realized when I was studying this is so pervasive in other areas that the spiritual and psychological weight of shame of like, I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough does impact my life in ways. It takes up a lot of space in ways that I hadn't realized because I was really getting into shame. So that's just sort of a personal thing. I'm worried that I'm overworking or I'm trying to make up for things that aren't necessary because I'm fine as I am. I'm doing enough. We're all doing enough, right? So in some ways, that's it. So I've been much more aware of places where shame is showing up.
0: I think it's so important to recognize that your shame doesn't have to be directly sexual in nature. It doesn't have to be about your body. It doesn't have to be about a past sexual experience. It doesn't have to be directly related to that to be directly impacting your sex life.
1: That's exactly it. Thank you for saying that's what I realized. But for many people, it's shame around their body. Our bodies are going to change. And your partner is with you because they want to be with you and they love your body. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I've talked to thousands of people and never have I gotten a call or mess like, oh, I love my partner until she gained five pounds or like her left boob was bigger than her right boob or like all the things that we worry about about our bodies is just not a thing. And if they are, if you're with a partner who's like, yeah, I loved her until she gained weight or until I saw her thighs, like not your person. Easier said than done or shame about your history. I have a lot in the book about. Kind of working through shame that comes from like cultural stuff, too. but there's a lot of different kinds of shame.
0: This is a little bit of a weird question, but you mentioned that we'll be stressed about work, and so then we won't have sex or sex won't be in our mind or whatever. And I do think that it's interesting that all of us could recognize like when we have sex, it's great. It feels great. We're more relaxed. We're more connected to our partner, et cetera. But so many of us put sex on the very bottom of our priority list. Why do we do that?
1: I love this question. I think that we do that. I used to say, like, oh, it's more women than men, but I realize that everyone does this. But I would say I hear this more from women. This is one area where they're like, take it or leave it. (laughs) Had enough sex in my life. There's a few reasons. The first one is that there's evidence and proof and scientific research that shows that women are having less pleasure than men in every sexual situation. There's something called the orgasm gap. And it means that in 99% of situations, all men are going to have an orgasm. And Straight women do not. It's only about like 60% or 50%. Okay, so that's one thing. Like, literally, in every situation. Now, women in same sex relationships with other women, they have orgasms most of the time. So, that's just another point. I know I'm speaking more about heterosexual relationships, but men are likely to orgasm between six and 12 minutes, and women between 20 and 40 minutes. So, number one, we are not having pleasure. Number two, we don't have this information. So, I don't know about you, but my faking orgasms and my people-pleasing, performative sex came from the fact that I'm like, he's already got there, but there's no time. Or is he really going to keep going down on me? Is he going to keep pleasing me? Like, I'm just going to fake it or hope it's over with. So that's the other part of it, that there was just hasn't been great sex education. I mean, I would like to call it pleasure education too, because neither one exists. Honestly, we don't have a great relationship with it. It's become kind of a pain in the ass. It's not as pleasurable. We're not getting as many rewards. And then I think the third thing is because of all of this, we don't actually really know what kind of sex feels good to us. We don't know how to connect with our partners or with ourselves. The way that sex goes down in most of our culture is very much based on penetration. And it's centered on penetration. In fact, we call penetration sex. But with so many studies around women's pleasure, we have found that the majority of pleasure does not come from a penis. It comes from a mouth or fingers or toys or a massage and connection and intimacy in other ways. We expand our definition of sex to include intimacy and touch and communication, all these other things that women could, with a willing partner, reestablish or redefine their relationship to sex and start from where you're at. Your sex is not a fixed state. Stuff I'm teaching is a skill set. Like I was not born like this and I'm still learning all the time. I'm never done tweaking and learning and figuring out what's going on. So it's like, if I'm saying that after 20 years of maybe my life, like it's okay. You can learn to have a new relationship to sex to your body. And so I want to give people the tools to do that.
0: What was the most recent thing that you like tweaked or learned?
1: I learned that my partner... He makes a lot of great efforts sexually. Like he listens to my shows and we live together. He knows what I do. We have a massage table. And that's one of my top tips for couples. If you can get one, my friend is a sexological body worker. She recommended it. She gave me one. I love it because there's like the art of one way touch where you can take the pressure off of having to give and just receive. So some nights he'll set up the room and we'll have a massage table and all the massage oil out and just about me that night. Right. And then another night it's for him. So I realized that I wasn't doing it. I wasn't giving back. There was a several nights in a row over a period of like a month or two where it was all about me. <laughs> and I realized that like, I hadn't really made the time for him to do it. And I really didn't realize it. I hadn't thought about it. I needed to have that feedback. And really the feedback came to that I wasn't initiating at all, really enough. And that's something I, that lesson has been taught to me before. I am not an initiator. When I get into the sex, I think is what you're asking. Like, why don't we like it? But once we do it, we love it. We're fine. I respond to things. I have something called responsive desire, which is what many women have instead of spontaneous. We respond to stimuli. So I need my partner to make the move to start to kiss. And then I'm like, okay, I'm there, but I'm not. So now I realize that I am definitely beyond just the massage thing. I'm being more conscious of thinking about it ahead of time. Like we're going to have sex tonight or tomorrow. I want to also be participating in the sex in that way. And then the other thing was I realized when he does make these efforts, not just the massage table, but other things he loves when I'm like, like last night he was running out the door. This is another thing that happened. He was going out to yoga and I was like, Oh babe, last night I remembered he did this thing that was really hot. And he's like, he stopped. He's like, tell me more. (laughs) What did you love about it? He came back inside. He's like, walk me to the car. (laughs) <laughs> like, well, I love that you did this thing. So I realized that he wants the affirmation as well. Like he had tried to do something that was cool and I brought it up and he loved it. I think mean, he was like in another world, has AirPods on, like turned around, took them off, said, what did you like about our sex last night? So
0: yeah. Oh my God. That was one of my biggest lessons is that my husband like loves when I just like say. It's like if you see something, say something. Like if you like something, say that you like it or like make a little comment on it later or something. And it costs me nothing. And I'm not lying. It's real thoughts that I'm having. But for some reason, I was so withholding with them for so long.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? We withhold it. That's exactly it. It's just important to, you know, now that we've said open dialogue around sex, right? Talk about it. But it's true. Compliments are huge.
0: Are men intimidated by dating you?
1: Maybe. Maybe at the beginning they are. Because men are socialized, to believe culture builds them up to be the greatest lovers ever, that they are supposed to know (laughs) everything, right? They're like, I am the king of the universe. And this woman knows more than me. So, oh my God. So maybe they're intimidated. Maybe they're like, let me show her some moves. When I've pulled the men I've been with, they're like, yeah, I was a little bit nervous, but you know, I'm like a typical woman who wants to be courted and desired. And I like foreplay. I happen to know a little bit more. It all works out. I find the right people.
0: One of my favorite tips in the book was the opposite of the phone and the numbing is negatively impacting your sex life, which was the idea that these little bits of pleasure outside of the bedroom are leading to us having more pleasure in the bedroom. So can you talk about that and the whole concept of a pleasure percent?
1: I love the pleasure percent. I was at a conference a few you know, years ago. It was like some embodiment conference and they said, I want everyone to write down and this is the formula that's in here. This is your pleasure percent everything that you do in a week that gives you pleasure. And then you put different points by it. And then you divide it by minutes in the week or hours in the week. And then you come with what percentage of your time you are doing something pleasurable. And by pleasure, I mean gardening, seeing your friends, going for a hike, shopping, whatever it is. And it was like a paltry, like 6% or 4%. It was insanity. I was like, oh oh my God, I do not prioritize pleasure at all. And I'm telling everyone, to like, what am I doing? And then <laughs> I really made a concerted effort to be like, I need to schedule just like scheduling sex, which I think is important. I'm like, how many friends am I seeing this week? Because that gives me the most pleasure. Like, am I going to go on walks with this friend? Am I going to get a massage? Am I going to go hiking? I plan it. I prioritize it like everything else because I know that when I have more pleasure, pleasure begets pleasure. And it's fueling everything else that I'm doing. It's a really important consideration for many to think, what am I doing that's pleasurable? Take this pleasure percentage and think about it because now my number has gone up. And I think I say in the book, let's aim for 25%. I don't know who can do that. That's hard, 25%. I mean, I think that's a goal. I don't know who can do that regularly. Maybe on the weekends, you can even say, I'm going to have a really pleasurable weekend. I just think about all the hours in the day I spend doing things that aren't pleasurable. And I start to think, am I the one that has to do this? Or if you're on social media or whatever, like I have timers on my phone to get off social media. So I try to put things in place to make sure that my life is more geared towards pleasure.
0: I think it is such a huge unlock that pleasure begets pleasure. I have a saying that I always say, which is like objects in motion stay in, I mean, Isaac Newton said it, but I say it in a different (laughs) context than him. Objects in motion stay in motion and objects at rest stay at rest. So I say if you're having one of those like lazy days and you're laying on the couch yelling at yourself figure out the tiniest way that you can get in motion to kickstart the motion. So like make a cup of tea and then that will lead to you sending the emails and doing the projects and like all the stuff you want to do. And I think that you could almost apply the same thing to pleasure in the way that you're talking about. Like can you figure out these tiny little bits of pleasure that you can put in your life and then begin to infuse your life with pleasure and then all of a sudden your whole life will be these opportunities for larger pleasures.
1: Yes, exactly. It's the same exact thing. It is true. The more that you are just conscious of it and prioritize it, it will happen. We get other pleasure. And I love that, like getting off the couch. It's true. Just take the next right move, right? Get yourself moving, do the next thing is important and to think about and also knowing that we deserve it like a lot of people think well I don't really deserve pleasure or we put conditions on pleasure once I finish all my work or get to the end of my to-do list then I can do this or once I work out then I can have the cake we don't think we deserve it so really this just kind of like a reframe on like yes you deserve it here's how you can get it and here's why it's actually good for your overall mental health and wellness
0: Can you give me a pitch for mutual masturbation? Because I have already screenshotted this part of your book and I've sent it to like all of my girlfriends. And I'm like, guys, we all need to be masturbating with our partners.
1: It's true. It's my favorite thing. We do mutual masturbation all the time. Number one, well, do you want me to explain what it is? You really are just lying back together. You're both masturbating. Either you're masturbating each other, your hands on their body parts, or you're doing it to yourself. But the number one thing is it's the sure thing. So you're both going to get off. You know what you're doing. Number two It's still intimacy. It's a very intimate act to sit there with your partner. And, like, I think a lot of times I'm gonna say this again that I think we think we're craving sex, but we're just craving intimacy. So, this can kind of be a solve for the intimacy. And number three, it's educational. You're learning how does my partner actually touch themselves? oh, okay, I didn't realize that he puts his hands up and over the tip or he's using this motion on his penis. I didn't realize she puts her fingers inside of her. Maybe next time I'll do that. So you're learning. And then number four, it's hot. It's sexy to see your partner in the throes of ecstasy and to see them pleasing themselves. And it's easier. It's a lot easier than being like, oh, i got to worry about you and you got to worry about me. We got to get out the lobe and the other kids listening, like all the things. And then you fall asleep (laughs) It's fun and it's exploring. I'm a huge fan and people do love it. I've been talking about it for years. It is a game changer for many. Sometimes even my partner will be like, should we just do it? like, and he'll like hand me my toy. You know, I'm like, great, let's go. Like, this is what's happening tonight. We have our periods, we have cramps, we're not on the move, but we can still sometimes masturbate.
0: What would you say to somebody who would say, I find it horrifically embarrassing, the idea of masturbating in front of my partner. Like I don't want them to see me in that moment of vulnerability.
1: I think that that's really, really common. And I think that vulnerability is really what breeds more intimacy and connection. I hope it's something that we can eventually look at. Like, where does that come from? Like, this is a partner that you're like naked with every day and sharing the most intimate parts of yourself. What part of it is it that you think maybe you'll be judged? Your partner's going to not like your orgasm face. Do you think that the way that you masturbate is wrong, quote? Is there some voice in your head that says it's still shameful, like I shouldn't have to masturbate in a relationship? Do you believe around masturbation come to light if you actually do it? Do you think your partners going to judge you and think, oh God, I can't believe that you masturbate like that? I talk to a lot of women who say, oh, I don't need to, I'm in a relationship. And I just want to say that masturbation is important no matter what kind of relationship you're in, because it's the relationship with yourself. So I guess I would say challenge it. And I understand it because it's really common. And I love all the questions you're asking because that is a huge roadblock. Like people are like, oh, no way. But what I love about what I do is there's a lot of hell no. It's just a lot of like, that's insane. I would never do that. And then it sinks in. They hear me say it enough. And then I get emails like, oh my God, Dr. Emily, we love mutual masturbation. We bought this toy. We did the role playing. We did the thing. So I think we have to remember that when sex conversations come up and something new that we haven't thought about, a lot of us go into fight or flight, like, oh God, danger, danger, no one's talking about it. And we say no. But if we can kind of sit with that and maybe revisit it and say, Oh, where did my note come from? And investigate it, and get curious
0: about it, we might realize
1: it like, oh, actually, maybe it would be gay for us, person I'm with. Let's why not try it?
0: I love that. Okay. Now we're gonna play just one tip. I'm gonna give you a subject matter. And if you can give us just one tip for up leveling, whatever that thing is. Okay. So let's start with sexting. What is one way we can either start sexting or up-level our sexting game?
1: Be really descriptive and an easy way to be descriptive and talk about something that's happened in the past or something you want to happen in the future. That's a great way to start because you're like, what do I say? Talk about how hot it was last time I saw you when your hands did this thing and you were wearing this thing and my underwear were this color. You know, be specific, descriptive, and describe something. I would say describe something you want to happen in the future because for many people, it's hard to ask for what they want. So if you do it in a text, a sex, it might be a little bit easier.
0: This is a little bit nuanced, but... Once you start sexting, I never quite know how to end it. Like, oh, can you pick up eggs on your way home? Like, I don't know, like, (laughs) how to stop that part. And so I feel like it stops me from starting. Oh, okay. I think just not take it too seriously. Okay. So it's like peppering the conversation with this sort peppering the conversation
1: or like, I do this with my partner. He's like, that was so hot last night, babe. Like, oh my God. And then he'll be like, did you get the PDF? (laughs) because we also work together. So I'm like, yeah. And then we try to be like, hey, babe, that was hot. So I think you just pepper it in and you don't overthink it. But I'm telling you, the most important thing is it feels so good for your partner to like think of all the shitty boring texts I'm getting the other day. And then you send like a really hot moment, a flicker of something happened last night. It could just be that standalone, but I promise you was the highlight of this day.
0: Mm, Okay, I love that. What about dirty talk? One tip for up-leveling our dirty talk.
1: Honestly, it would be the same thing. Be descriptive, be present. Describe what's happening in the moment, what you want to happen or what is happening. If you don't know what to say, describe something that you've been thinking about that's happening in the moment or that you want to happen. Like I can't stop thinking about how hot it was last time you had your hand down my pants or last time your face was between my legs. My other tip is to practice in the shower or to listen to audio erotica. There's some great audio erotica sites like Quinn and Dipsy where you hear people like talking about sex. For a lot of people, they're sort of shy and it's a little bit embarrassing. And so just like everything, sex is a skill set. Dirty talk is a skill
0: set, so practice. That makes total sense. If you've never heard dirty talk, why would you know how to do dirty talk? Exactly. One tip for up-leveling oral sex for both penis and vulva owners.
1: To go down on a penis, you don't need to just use your mouth That your hands are your best friend during a blowjob. The other thing is always use lube and then use a toy that your vibrator that you might use on your own vulva can feel great on the shaft or the perineum, which is the taint, the area between the balls and the anus. That area has indirect stimulation to the prostate. So I would kind of get a little vibrator or you could just apply pressure to that area while you're giving a blowjob.
0: Hosting this podcast has honestly transformed my idea of what our microbiomes are and how critical they are to our health. I cannot even count how many expert guests have cited microbiome health as one of the most key components of overall wellness, from our digestion, to our mood, to our cognition, to our skin health, and it's why I personally have prioritized my microbiome health in the past couple of years. That's why, as you probably know by now, I am obsessed with Seed. Taking Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is a part of my daily routine that supports my whole body health. I think it is critical to understand that when we think of probiotics, it's not just for the gut health issues like bloating and constipation. They support the entire body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic has 24 bacterial strains that are scientifically studied to support our digestive health, dermatological health, cardiovascular health, and more. As a company, Seeds' mission and commitment to research is amazing. They're actively conducting clinical trials to continuously improve their products including one trial assessing the impact of different strains on GI symptoms for patients with IBS, and another for assessing the effect of the DSO-1 daily symbiotic on post-antibiotic recovery. Their team of scientists formulated the DSO-1 daily symbiotic to have a capsule that actually survives in the gut rather than being killed by stomach acid before you even get the benefits. This is so important. If you're just grabbing whatever probiotic you can find at the drugstore, you might not even be getting the microbiome support that you're expecting due to a capsule that doesn't shield the bacteria. And the DSO-1 daily symbiotic is not just a probiotic. It is a symbiotic, which means it contains both probiotics and prebiotics, another important quality that you will not see on most drugstore shelves. The combination is so key. While probiotics are the live beneficial bacteria, prebiotics are actually the food that the probiotics need to thrive. Without the prebiotic component, the probiotics that you're taking will be undernourished and far less effective. If you need any more convincing, their packaging is not only beautiful but sustainable. You can refill the little green glass bottle every month with the pills shipped right to your door in compostable packaging rather than using single-use plastic bottles. If you would like to try Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic or their pdso 8 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic for kids and teens aged 3 to 17 and see for yourself why I and so many other people in the Healthier Together community love it, I have an amazing discount for you. You can use code LizMoody at Seed.com to get 25% off your first month supply. Again, that is LizMoody at Seed.com for 25% off. Having some vinegar before a meal is one of my favorite blood sugar balancing hacks that I learned from the Glucose Goddess episode of the podcast, which is still one of our most popular podcast episodes. You definitely need to listen if you haven't yet. But essentially, the acetic acid elongates the blood sugar curve, so you don't feel that spike and crash. And apple cider vinegar helps you absorb more nutrients from your food, so it is a win-win. While you can, of course, just use a little vinegar in water, the main time that I am eating less blood sugar-friendly meals is when I am out at restaurants, which is where the Paleo Valley apple cider vinegar capsules come in so handy. I keep my Paleo Valley capsules in my car glove compartment so they are always on hand. I just take one before a meal out and it helps me feel so much better afterwards regardless of what I eat. I also would be remiss if I didn't talk about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex. I've talked about how Zach swears by it for dealing with the knee pain that he sometimes gets from going on long runs before. He is marathon training right now, so go, Zach. Lots of long runs. But I honestly recommend it to pretty much anyone in my life experiencing pain. My uncle used it for back pain, and it was wildly helpful. And I personally cycle in and out when my shoulder pain is acting up. Turmeric has been studied to support healthy joints, brain health, immune function, and cardiovascular function, and it's an amazing, effective way to combat chronic inflammation, one of the things that often causes us pain. It's also super important that turmeric is consumed with black pepper and fat to increase its bioavailability, and Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has organic black pepper and coconut oil in each capsule, along with three other powerful anti-inflammatories ginger, rosemary, and cloves for the maximum synergistic response. Both of these complexes have no fillers, no binders, no preservatives, and are made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. They're also third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I always recommend looking for supplements for your specific needs at any given moment and needs change. So definitely explore Paleo Valley's site. They have a ton of incredibly high quality options for supplements and more, including a new electrolyte drink that is so tasty and well-formulated and bars and grass-fed meat sticks that are perfect for snacking on the go. If you would like to check out the Turmeric Complex, the Apple Cider Vinegar Complex, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, Head over to paleovalley.com slash Liz Moody for 15% off your first order. That's paleovalley.com slash Liz Moody for 15% off your first order. Now let's get back to the episode. And then if we wanted to give a tip for a vulva owner to receive. For a vulva
1: owner, I would say one of my best tips is just to go slow and to not go right for the clitoris. And I'd say to blow... On it to blow and then to kind of pull back and to tease, and also use a toy.
0: Wait, wait, wait! Could you tell me? I forget what the name was. It starts with a K, though. Is in your book? I've never heard this.
1: Thank you. Why am I even messing around with? Anything else? <laughs> like I don't even know why I didn't bring up the Kibin method. So, okay, Liz, the Kibben method is something that I first talked about on my show ten years ago. I have never in all these years, received so many emails <laughs> from people and DMs saying like, oh my God, my <laughs> wife had the best orgasm ever. Like crazy. It was insane. Like it was like a good joke. Okay. So Kevin Method, and I have pictures in the book and smart sex of how to do this, but essentially you are increasing the surface area of nerves that you were hitting on the clitoris. So okay, let's just say it this way. She's lying on her back and Usually when you're giving oral to your partner, you're lying between her legs, right? Like your head is facing up towards her head. You're, you're parallel, right? You're flat. You're between her legs and your mouth is between her legs. This is perpendicular. but Your legs are going out. So your mouth is going back and forth, thigh to thigh. So your tongue is going thigh to thigh, not like head to toe, up and down. So when you go thigh to thigh, that's where you're licking, right? From either side, you're hitting more nerve endings that way. And those nerve endings usually get ignored. But when you talk about the clitoris, I want to remind people that it has like 12,000 nerve endings and they can be more readily stimulated when you, you cover more surface area that way rather than the up and down. So you're lying more like on a diagonal and you're covering more nerve endings.
0: Yeah, I need to try that. I read it in your book. And I was like, "Ooh, this sounds fun. I immediately told my husband.
1: Good. It works. It's awesome. Really. Let me know how it goes.
0: I will. I will. What is one tip to up-level foreplay?
1: Foreplay massage. I'm telling you, when we talked about one of the biggest pleasure thieves is stress and anxiety. If you take your partner for like 10 minutes and you massage their feet, you massage their back without reciprocity, I'm just going to give you a massage. It can totally relax your entire nervous system. You'll feel more embodied and more likely than not you would be more open to sex and can be like a really great turn on.
0: It is such a genius connection that if stress and anxiety are robbing us of our pleasure and getting in the way of our sex lives, that the best foreplay would be to relieve our stress and anxiety. I've never thought about it that way. That's literally genius. Okay, what is one way that we can up-level missionary sex?
1: I would say the cat position. So the cat position is coital alignment technique. And that is when the partner on top is sort of pushing themselves up above their partner. This would be more about a man on top would go a little bit further up. And he's more of going in a up and down rather than a, a rocking motion. Because when he moves up a little bit, it's pubic bone to pubic bone. And you're applying more pressure to the clitoris and the pubic area than you would in just regular missionary. So it's kind of a moving up. So maybe his head's even over her head and it's more of an up and down position. You're rocking or grinding their pubic bone to create the friction, rather than that in and out thrusting. So, if you're a vulva owner and you are struggling to reach orgasm during penetration, which is very, very common, it can be a really valuable position for you because you're just sort of rubbing on. You're like applying the pressure that you, it might really be required for orgasm. So I think that's a great missionary hack.
0: I was going to ask for one tip to be more likely to get to orgasm if you're not used to orgasming from penetrative sex or with a partner. Would that be that one or do you have another one?
1: That would be a great one. And I would also say just clitoral stimulation. Usually we're not going to orgasm for missionary because We just haven't had enough clitoral stimulation. So a lot of oral sex right before penetration or using a vibrator, like holding a little handheld vibrator on your clitoris during penetration will will certainly help. For some women doing their kegel exercises and strengthening their pelvic floor can also help because the stronger those muscles are, the stronger orgasms we're going to have.
0: I want to ask really quickly about oral sex because we did the tip for giving it, but I think a lot... Of women, particularly, have issues with receiving it. Like they don't relax enough to enjoy it. They're worried about how their vulva is being perceived. They're worried about all of these things. Do you have any tip for being less self conscious and like enjoying receiving oral sex more?
1: Yes. You know, I'm glad you asked this because I realized that, like I said, people always want tips. But when I was writing the oral sex chapter, a lot of questions come in about receiving. There are so many women that are missing out on oral sex because they have shame around their genitals. Let me just back up to say that oral sex on a man is highly glorified. We talk about blowjobs all the time. Oh, you're good at blowjobs you get a blowjob. It's the thing that we prioritize. We put it on a pedestal. It's like really important. How do I give a good blood? Oral sex for women, not so much. We don't see it in movies as much, although we did during Bridgerton, which I loved. That was great. That was like, oh my God, they're showing female pleasure. We don't see it in our culture. And then when we do hear about it, it's like, oh, women are ashamed about their body parts. I think maybe my vulva looks different than other vulvas, which by the way, we are all like snowflakes and we all look different. There's not like one right vulva. I think we're worried about the taste and the smell. And then we're also worried if our partner really wants to be there doing it. And so I think that once we can realize it, like our partner wants to be there to please us and that, you know, our vaginas are like self-cleaning ovens, like they're fine. Like you are... Perfectly healthy, you don't need to douche, you don't do anything else. And I believe if your partner says to you, like, I really want to give you pleasure, it can be a practice, but learn to just practice, lay down, and breathe and receive. I also have a tip in the book about when you're masturbating, it's another great time to kind of visualize yourself receiving oral sex so you can get used to it and get more comfortable with it so you can feel like, oh, I know what this feels like. Just sort of a visualization around it could be really, really hot. And one of the hottest things, like and you can tell your partner this or if there's guys listening, saying to your partner, babe, I love the way you taste. I can't wait to do this. Lay back. We've got all night. Like, wouldn't that just make you be like, oh, okay, I'm going to really breathe and I'm going to really receive this. But there's a lot of hang ups around all the things I just said that really is keeping us from pleasure.
0: I was gonna ask, I think a big fear a lot of people on both sides and both genders, a lot of people are afraid that they're taking too long. That yes. if somebody's down there giving them oral pleasure, that they wanna like make it snappy for them so as not to offend, so as not to tire people out. And then it, you put this pressure on yourself, and then of course that makes you take longer.
1: <laughs> exactly. I have so many memories of me like Being with partners and looking at the clock and being like, okay, it's been six minutes. Now it's been eight minutes. Like looking at the blinking clock, thinking like, oh, it's too long. It's too long. It's too long. And I think a lot of women do that, right? Again, the orgasm gap, normalizing like, babe, if you're going down to me, like this is at least 20 minutes. (laughs) I love that. At least 20 minutes, right? And knowledge, understanding that that's what it's going to take. So when your partner says, lay back, babe, I'm not going anywhere, then we don't have to be worrying so much about the time that it's taking. But again, this all goes to education. Like, I hope people listen to this show with their partners and realize that like, okay, I get it now. I don't have to worry. And I also highly encourage people to talk to their partners and to say like, you know, I've learned this great thing. I was listening to this show and I learned that it actually it takes a little bit longer and I want to make sure that you're cool with it. Like there's nothing wrong with saying to a partner, I've had some insecurities about it. And the reason why I pushed your head away is because I think it's taking too long. And then if your partner says, no, babe, I love doing it. I want to do it. Well, how wonderful is that to receive that information and to say, okay, well, now maybe I can finally receive, I had to go through that. I did the same thing. And then I had to realize that I was with partners that were like enthusiastically into pleasing me. And now that is a requirement, right? But I think for many people listening who are in committed relationships or with one partner. What a great time to have that conversation and just to clarify. Like, I just want to check a story. (laughs) Like, I want to make sure that you're cool with this, and then it gives you
0: permission. I love that. And also, I will say for your blowjob tips earlier, like if you're going down on a vulva, you should probably be using your hands and your mouth too, right? So you're not getting like tired with either one. Same thing.
1: Use your hands and your mouth.
0: I just want to get to a few listener questions. These were really interesting to me. Okay, I have one. I faked my orgasm with my now fiancé for years. What do I do now?
1: So really, this is actually common. And what you do is you follow my three T's of communication, which you can find it on my book or on my website, the Timing Tone and Turf, find the right time to have a conversation with your partner about sex. And then you let them know. You say, I would love to talk about our sex life and let's talk about some of the best sex we've ever had. Like you got to warm it up. You don't just lead with like, I've been faking orgasms. Maybe this is a perfect time for the compliment sandwich. The compliment sandwich is one of my tools in the book about giving constructive feedback to a partner. And you have to already lay the groundwork with your partner and be talking about your sex life. We start with the first thing, which is what you love about your sex life, like things that you love. Like God, last night was so hot. I love that you slowly addressed me. I love the way we make out. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about orgasms. I got to be honest, I was listening to this show and I realized that I actually don't know how to orgasm with you in the way that I want to. The ways that I've been experiencing pleasure, I think, that sometimes I I. Do the word fake it, or I'm not really getting there the way that I want to, or maybe she's never really had an orgasm. It's very common for women never to have had an orgasm and just say that I feel so safe in our relationship that I would love to learn together how to have a better orgasm or how to do it together and nothing to do with you. And I love you. And then that's the feedback. And the last one would be like, I think if I could really learn how to have an orgasm with you in a way that's like deliberate and slow that our sex life could go to the next level. That's kind of how you end it, with a positive thing. So you start with positive, the feedback, and then like why it's good for both of you.
0: Okay. That's not that scary. Yeah. It's really not. I think just being honest. There's no world in which you shouldn't say it and just keep like experimenting with new stuff until you have an orgasm or should you definitely be honest?
1: Everyone gets to decide for themselves. I think that there is a world where she could certainly start to masturbate on her own figure out what makes her feel good, and then start to experiment with some different things and see what happens. But I just feel like if you're with a partner and your fiancés, they're married or they're almost married and they're going to spend their lives together and you want to be with somebody who has a growth mindset around sex, it's not the end of the world. Hopefully he'll be like, oh my God, babe, like, let's get on this. Like, Orgasm 101, like, this is our mission. Let's do it, babe. Don't worry. Like, because this again, this is so common. I ask women, nine out of 10 women have faked an orgasm. It's not 10 out of 10. So it's really, really common. Just be honest. You guys can work towards orgasm together.
0: We've touched on this a little bit, but I got, I don't know, like over a hundred listener questions that were some version of the same thing, which is how to get out of your own head when you're having sex. I cannot shut off my mom brain, my work brain, whatever, to get into the moment and enjoy it. So I just want to address it directly because it seems to be such a common problem.
1: It is such a common problem. So here's just a quick tip for this. First, have compassion for yourself. That's okay. Mindfulness is a practice. It's not a state. It's something that we keep kind of go back to all the time. Focus on your five senses. When you're in the room and you realize you're distracting your thoughts, you're like, did I leave the oven on? Did I text my boss back? Are the kids crying? Think about your senses. Start with your eyes. In the moment, I'm like, okay, what am I seeing? Okay, I'm seeing my partner's body in front of me. What am I smelling? I'm smelling that beautiful candle, the vanilla candle that's by my bed. What am I hearing? Okay, I'm hearing this playlist that I'm always playing. What am I touching? Okay, my hands are my partner's body. And so the second you do a round of the five senses... You immediately land in the present moment. You cannot live in the past and you cannot live in the future when you are in your senses. The senses are so powerful. I mean, it's a great tool for just being present anywhere of getting to be mindful. But I love doing that in the bedroom. That's one way to do it. And you might have to do it a few times, but it will bring you back to the moment. And the other thing is like letting your partner know, saying, you know what, baby? can we slow down for a minute? Let's take a few deep breaths together. I do that with my partner all the time. If he just walked in, we'll sit, we'll take some deep breaths, and we'll reconnect, and we'll start again. So I think that breath is just an anchor to ourselves and to our arousal, and just not to be too hard with ourselves. We all get distracted doing things, that even things that we think we shouldn't get distracted in. So having a few of these tools, I think, will help.
0: I love that. Can you just leave us with one homework assignment, one actionable thing that we can all do as soon as we turn off this podcast to up-level our sex lives today?
1: If you're in a relationship, the very first thing you have to do is commit that on your next date night, you're going to have a conversation about your sex life in a very positive, life-affirming way. And you're going to share something about it that you've never shared. If you're not in a relationship, I would give you the exercise of, Thinking about when you are in your next relationship, what kind of sex you want to have. I want you to think about it when you're masturbating. I want you to think about your ideal sex life, write down what the three things are that would be an ideal sex life for you. And then the next time you're with a partner, you're going to be able to bring those things in and make sure they happen.
0: Love. We've been talking about your book throughout, but I'd love to hear in your own words about why it's so amazing, why everybody should buy it, and then also where to find you on the internet.
1: So I wrote Smart Sex, How to Boost Your Sex IQ and Own Your Pleasure. Because what I realized is that after the last two decades of helping millions of people feeling less shame around sex and prioritizing their pleasure, I was giving people quick tips. And there's great tips. I can give people tips. I can give them a vibrator. I can give them a position. But I knew that you could only have great sex with self-love, self-awareness, understanding your body. And so I really wrote Smart Sex to teach people about themselves. Sort of like the joy of you and understanding yourself as a sexual being will bring better sex, better relationships, and better pleasure. At the end of the day, it's conscious, intentional sex.
0: And there's also so many little like genius nuggets. You have the list of like different role play options so that you don't have to think of something out of your own brain. There's just so much actionable advice in there that you can take into your life today. I really love that.
1: Exactly, right. I mean, I think this is like the one sex book that you need. (laughs) To be honest, I think you'll have it forever. And wherever you go, you're going to have these tips. Literally, it's broken down into like anal sex tip, oral sex tip, missionary positions. If you've ever had a question about sex, It will be answered in this book.
0: And then I'm sure everybody's familiar with your amazing podcast, but if you want to take a second to talk about it. It's called
1: Sex with Emily. It releases two times a week. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, I love hearing from you. You can send me your questions. Social media is all Sex with Emily. And please buy my book, Smart Sex, wherever you buy books. I would so appreciate it review it. And also the sex IQ quiz at sexwithemily.com. We just launched a new marketplace store with like some of my favorite products and toys that you can buy
0: there. Oh, so fun. All right. Sexwithemily.com. Thank you so much, Emily. This was absolutely wonderful. I loved it. Thanks for having me. I love this episode and I love Emily and I just want everyone in the world to have this information. So please share it with all of your friends. And definitely, if you have a partner, share it with them or listen together. I've found that listening to stuff like this together can be so helpful in opening up conversations in a way that's not at all uncomfy or embarrassing. You can just be like, oh, that was interesting what Emily said. What do you think of that? Sharing the podcast is hands down the best way to support it, and it is so, so appreciated. If you did love this episode, I would be so grateful if you would write a quick rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It's hugely helpful for other people deciding whether to listen to the podcast, and I appreciate it so, so much. Okay, let's talk giveaway. Emily has so generously agreed to give three winners free copies of her brand new book, Smart Sex, How to Boost Your Sex IQ and Own Your Pleasure, which is jam-packed with everything that you need to uplevel your sex life. It is truly such a good book, and you need it on your shelves. All you need to do to enter is to follow me. I am at Liz Moody and Emily. She is at sexwithemily on Instagram. And then comment something that you loved or learned from the episode on any of my recent posts. The post doesn't need to be about this episode. Just mention the episode or Emily in the comments so that I know that you're entering. If you're new here, first of all, welcome. I am so happy that you're here. Make sure that you're following the podcast on whatever platform you like to listen on. You're just going to go to the main podcast page. It's the one that lists all of the Healthier Together episodes. And you'll see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. That way, all of our new episodes will show up right in your feed so you will never miss out on one. And we have some incredible episodes coming up, including a highly requested one about how to know if you have ADHD and what to do if you do have it. And another one about the new type of therapy that is transforming people's lives. So make sure that you are following so you do not miss out. Okay. I love you. And I will see you next Wednesday on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Women's healthcare is historically under-researched, and that certainly includes prenatal, pregnancy, and postpartum care. I recently discovered the brand Needed, and I was so impressed, I immediately began telling all of my friends who are expecting or just became new moms. Needed is a research-backed company offering radically better nutrition for women from conception to pregnancy to new motherhood and beyond. Prenatal vitamins are typically designed around recommended dietary allowances, or the bare minimum amount of a nutrient needed pregnant and nursing women were intentionally excluded from much of the now outdated and stale research that set these recommended minimums. And what would you know, 95% of women, 95% of women in perinatal stages have nutrient deficiencies. Needed offers products that are formulated by experts in women's health and are backed by clinical insights from their collective of over 4,000 practitioners, from dietitians to midwives to OBGYNs. Their products offer the forms of nutrients your body can actually use, dosed at optimal versus bare minimum levels. They also go above and beyond with third party tests, testing every single batch to ensure the safest product, which is something I always look for. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use code LizMoody for 20% off your first month of needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use code LizMoody for 20% off your first month of needed products.